Hey, all you future Forexers out there. Thanks for joining us again on Forex Formula Radio, where we talk on a weekly basis about the real estate business. And if you're a licensed real estate professional or thinking about becoming a licensed real estate professional, then you're in the right place. If you're here for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Have any of you experienced this? You've, you have investors that own properties and now it's time to sell. But there are people living in those homes that you have to deal with. How do you approach dealing with tenants in the homes? That's what we're going to talk about today. Hi, I'm Kelly Johnston, founder of the Forex Formula. And the big question is this. How are real estate agents like us able to create a constant stream of commissions and a constant stream of leads while enjoying life without wasting big budgets on branding, without working crazy hours, without worrying where the next deal's coming from in today's real estate market? This podcast is here to reveal the answers. Over the years, I've run into crazy scenarios and I, and I continue to be surprised by how some people live in their homes. Everyone has a different standard and that is blatantly obvious in some situations. <laughs> I walked into one home that was a rental property for one of my clients. That particular client was what we refer to as an absentee landlord. He just bought properties, rented them out, set up payment schedules, and as long as the tenant was paying the rent, he never visited the property, never saw the property. Sometimes he even forgot about certain circumstances, or, or sorry, certain aspects about the property because it had been so long since the last time he'd seen it. He lived about 90 minutes away from his properties uh, in where we live or where we do business. He decided it was time to liquidate. I was not involved in the original purchase of these properties, but I was now going to take care of selling his two holding properties. I'm just going to talk about one of them. The first one was in a developing part of uh, our kind of downtown core. Uh, and this is kind of a rough neighborhood. There are a few people speculating in this area for future development potential. Um, and so anyway, as I arrived at the home, I saw from the outside of the home that there had been absolutely no maintenance performed on the home for some time. In this case, the seller had arranged the appointment with the tenant and I arrived at the agreed time. I knocked on the door, the lady answered the door in her house coat and it was about 11 a.m. on Saturday. I then entered the home and there was this wave of movement that happened in the home and the smell that just kind of smacked me in the face. It was cats, over 20 of them. They never made a sound, it was really creepy, totally silent. It was frightening. The only sound was from their movement. It was like this creepy, it was weird. I didn't even want to sit down. She showed me around and there were cats everywhere and the place was a mess. Food dishes everywhere. The furniture was full of cats and cat hair. Let's just say that the sanitary conditions of this home were not really up to par. Then I learned that the tenant was actually a person who worked as a nurse in our local hospital. Yikes. Anyway, these are the type of things that you can run across, right? This is a very rare case, of course, but we do run into this kind of stuff quite often in our real estate businesses where we run into some wacky circumstances. However, the most common is the difficult tenant, the nightmare tenant, the tenant who refuses to allow showings, the tenant who is uh, freaked out about how you're going to treat them. When a home's occupied by a tenant and suddenly the landlord decides that they want, that they want or need to sell, it's very disruptive to the tenant's lives. Remember, this is their home. They pay a monthly rent, they pay on a monthly basis for the right to live in this home. And there's normally zero incentive for them to ensure that the house is presented, you know, presentable, 
There's zero incentive for the tenant to ensure that the buyer walking through the home is impressed with their decor. There's zero incentive for the tenant to ensure that the buyer is impressed with the landscaping maintenance and whatever. And in addition to that, the wear and tear on the appliances, the flooring, walls, exterior parts of the home are actually the responsibilities of the landlord in most cases. So there's no incentive for them to take care of general upkeep, really. Now, this is not to say that there aren't wonderful ten tenants out there that take care of the home as if it were theirs. They have certain standards that they maintain whether or not they have actual ownership in the home. And I found that the tenants that have good, attentive landlords tend to feel kind of a moral obligation to take a little more care when living in the home. It's not always the case. We all know that this is not always the case. These are the dream tenants. And I believe that as a landlord, when you have a tenant that's of that nature, that you should go the extra mile and making them feel comfortable and be more attentive when items are in need of repair. So now, what's the best way to deal with tenants as a big, bad real estate professional who is now going to disrupt their lives? Well, I have a system for this. Personally, I am not going to list the home until I have a chance to meet the tenant and have a proper chat with the tenants and actually see the home. If it turns out that the tenant is difficult to meet with, then that's the first sign of difficulty, right? So then we have to maybe think of ways to motivate them and attempt to adjust their attitude towards the realtor, the big bad realtor. Once we get the meeting, our purpose is to approach the situation with empathy and assure them that we understand that they're just people living in a home and that there's no incentive or, or benefit to them during this time as we totally disrupt their lives. Next, we talk to them about the laws that are in place to protect them as tenants and educate them on their rights. It's best to adhere to the act that's in place for your area that regulates how tenants are to be treated anyway to avoid putting your landlord or seller and yourself at risk. So why not use that to make the tenant feel more at ease? Does that make sense? This will give them actually a sense of control, knowing that their rights will be protected and that you respect them as people. At the same time, you're literally telling them the rules of the game, right? It goes both ways. If you play by the rules, then they have to as well. It's an implied expectation. This puts them more at ease and disarms them right away. And it maybe get them kind of thinking in their brain, wow, these people are different. It seems that they're, these are people that operate with the appropriate morals and ethical standards. I respect them, but still feel a little bit wary, right? But at least we're getting there. We're breaking down the wall. Okay, so if you get them into that mode of thinking, then you have a better chance of getting through to them, okay? So stage one, accomplished. Hopefully we're now, trans we've kind of transformed the relationship from big bad real estate professional that doesn't care about them and is more concerned with our commission to, to someone that has a job to do, but will operate in a fair way and a respectful way. Now we believe that they are simply just regular people. They're living in this product that we're contracted to sell. Does that make sense? Do you take the time to do that? I'll tell you that once you meet, disarm, and then establish guidelines with them, that give them more, that'll give them more comfort and you'll have an easier time booking showings and you'll find that they will put out a little bit, maybe a little bit more extra effort to make the home more, more presentable. More often than not. I think about it, you know, if we think about it from their side, there's a fear there. We need to kill the monster when it's small so that when we can move forward with less blockages and get our job done for the seller. If we don't take the time to alleviate these things, then we're going to have a tougher time with the tenant and it's going to be a nightmare listing. So taking these steps is not a guarantee that the tenant is going to absolutely fall in line and be reasonable, let's face it, but 
it gives us a best, our best chance to do a great job for the seller. So it's important to do this. Okay, so we've, we, we've did our best to alleviate the first concern, which is basically the big bad realtor is going to treat me horribly and not respect me and my home. The next concern, this is going to be a pain in the butt and it's going to be enormously inconvenient to our lives. That's a big concern and it's valid. So what we do is we sit down and we go over some guidelines. We discuss guidelines. We get their feedback with the attitude that we're going to try to minimize the inconvenience as much as possible. So that's how we come across to them when we're talking to them. So the guidelines that we discuss with them are as follows. One, what are the absolute most horrible times for showings to occur? So let's get that nailed down, get it out of the way. That's going to alleviate the concerns right away. What's the best day and time frame for showings? What's the best time for showings? What's most convenient? How do we deal with pets or anything like that? Do they have to be home for all showings? Or can we? Or do they actually prefer that we show the house while they're at work? Some tenants don't want you in their home if they're not there. Some of them are like, yeah, if you're not bugging me and I'm at work anyway and you want to show it, I would rather you do it then than when I'm actually home trying to relax in my home. Uh, what's their work schedule like? So we want to know that because they may be night shift workers, so daytime showings aren't good. That kind of stuff. We always try and ensure that you have a minimum of 24-hour notice for showings. We explain it to them this way. But if we get a request, we're still going to make the request. So don't be offended by that. This is just in case uh, the time frame is actually more convenient for you. You have the right to say no, but if it works for you anyway in that time frame, then we can just kind of get the showing over with, right? Don't be offended if we if you receive the request within, that's within that 24-hour time frame. So we kind of explain that to them. And then we want to know, the next thing we want to know is what's the protocol for booking showings and best contact method? Text, phone, email. Do we need to await a confirmation before confirming with the other agents or do we consider it confirmed if there's more than 24 hours notice and we hear nothing from them? The setup here is that it's confirmed unless we hear otherwise. This puts the onus on them to respond quickly if there's a problem with that showing time frame. But if we've already established that the showing time falls within the guidelines, then we should be okay, right? Who's the best person to contact? That's the next thing we want to know. Are there any other considerations or special circumstances that we need to be aware of? Can we try to push all showings to an open house, you know, and maybe just try and condense all the showings into one time frame? So these are all the things we talk about. The next thing that's really important is keep good records. We make notes in the file and we keep it there. This is incredibly important for future issues that may pop up. No matter how well you operate, there's always the chance that things can get contentious. And if we need to enforce the policies of the law later, then having great notes will really help build the case. Having a showing request record is also very important so that you can show your clients the attempts that you've been made too. If your client's upset at you because you've not sold the house, but the tenants are saying no to two out of three showings, then you can show at least that your marketing is working. We're just having a tough time getting people inside, but we've got records of that, right? We want to show that to them. You should have a copy also of the tenancy agreement or rental agreement that's in place in the file. This eventually would actually be part of the offer. Those terms have to be assumed by the next buyer in most cases, so they're going to need a copy of that so everyone abides by those terms contractually as well. I think that's pretty well the case in most areas. Now, with all of that in place, what's the next fear to be alleviated? So the next thing they're thinking in their brain, or probably first sometimes, what happens when the place sells, right? 
Is someone going to buy my home and kick me out? Is someone going to buy my home and be a horrible person to deal with? Is someone going to buy my home, like in their minds, it's their home, and increase my rental amount? These are all valid fears, right? So how do we deal with that? Well, this is where it's really important to understand the regulations or laws in your area for the landlord-tenant relationship. You know the terms of the agreement and how they're to be enforced. So you need to know that. You should know how this affects all parties involved. But more than anything, just like when you're taking any listing, pricing it, and you begin to market it, you have to think about who the buyer is going to be. Who are you marketing to? Because that affects some of these issues. What's happening in the area that um, this home is located? Is there future uh, development potential? Are speculators looking at land assemblies? Is this an area where it's turning over and most likely uh, a buyer is a person who will want to move there, actually? Is it most likely going to be another investor? So these are all the things, like, and it affects how you market the home. If you think that it's going to be most likely an investor who's going to buy the home, then you have already done your job in the steps prior to this, but there's one more thing to chat about. This is where you can attempt to motivate them. I tell them that this is most likely, here's an example, I tell them that it's most likely another landlord that will come into play. And a lot of times they're looking at the home and making a decision on how they will deal with the tenant existing in the home based on how they're living there. So the more presentable the home is, the less chance their lives will change. Like if a landlord or a buyer is looking at it going, wow, these people are awesome. These are great tenants. I don't want to lose these people. I don't want to mess with what's going on here. They're great. If, that, if, if a landlord has that situation or a future buyer has that in their minds, then the chance of their lives being disrupted is less. So hopefully that plants a seed in their brain where they go, okay, well, I'm going to make this look great. I'm going to be really nice when they show up, all that kind of stuff, right? So the more presentable the home is, the less chance that their lives will change. And that's, that's very likely the conclusion in a lot of situations. People who buy a home that's occupied by a tenant that is living in the home respectfully will sometimes forego rental increases when they come up in order to keep that dream tenant in the home too. So you got to let them know these kind of things so that they start to get motivated. If it's most likely going to be a buyer that's going to want to live in the home, then go over the steps that have to be taken in order to honor their occupancy in the home now and how it will play out in such circumstances. Tell them that they... Um, Tell them that you're going to let them know how things are progressing if offers come in and stuff so that they have dates and times and you're kind of keeping them aware of things. And just let them know that you're going to keep them up to speed on things so that, that they actually have advance notice prior to, the, prior to the legal notice. And that you know that's just the best you can do. Lastly, this is something that we do. You can figure out something that works for you, but we always tell them that we understand that it's a pain in the butt. There's really no reward for them to go through this inconvenience. So we tell them that after the sale's been completed, we're going to give them a certificate for a night out with their family, or depending on the type of tenant, something that's more rewarding to them. We'll spend over 100 bucks usually on this, depending on the number of family members and stuff, but we'll get them dinner and a movie as an example, and we'll pay for all that, and then they can just go out and have a nice night. And that's just our little reward for going through that. And usually they kind of go, man, that's, that's nice. We tell them about this at the end, so it leaves a good impression and hopefully causes them to think, wow, this, this real estate person is not so bad. They seem like they care. They seem professional. And that was a nice gesture to give us a night out for dinner and a movie. That was unexpected. I feel a little more obligated to cooperate now, you know? So we're hoping that that kind of stuff is going on in their brain. <laughs> to summarize, okay, this is what we've done. 
and we have attempted to relax their minds about who you are and how you are going to operate in their lives, right? So that gives them a bit of a sense of importance. So we want to do that. Number two, we've created rules and guidelines to operate in this process that's customized to them. We've made notes in the file and uh, we make mention of it when we're talking to them. Number three, we create a system of record keeping. So if things get contentious, we're prepared. Number four, we know the terms of the agreement by both parties that need to be respected lawfully. And we explain that to the tenants so that they feel comfortable that their rights are going to be protected as well. And number five, we offer a reward to them for putting up with the inconvenience that we're imposing on them. So can you see why it's important to have this meeting prior to listing the home? You have to agree that it's much worse to have that meeting after the listing is already signed and done, and then this is a new situation that's kind of imposed on them as a surprise, right? How would you feel? So this is the reason that we say to the seller landlord that we need to meet with a tenant and see the home prior to going to market. And it's imperative for a few more reasons. We approach the meeting with the tenant with the scenario that we're meeting with them and getting a quick view of the home to establish a listing price. And what I'll say to the tenant, I usually explain in that meeting, is that it's not a foregone conclusion that the seller is going to want to sell. They may not like our suggested list price and decide to keep it. So that puts them at ease and makes it easier to, to book the meeting as well. Um, so that I find uh, operating that way, a lot, it, it, it's not like it's a foregone conclusion and they're a little more relaxed thinking, okay, well, they may not sell. So, well, let's let him come see the house. So once we meet the tenant and we see the home and how it's to be presented most likely, it really does help us come to a potential list price because there's a lot of factors, right? If the home is disgusting and it, and it doesn't look like the tenant is going to improve that, <laughs> that's going to affect the list price. If the home is fantastic and has a great tenant in place and it looks like they're going to cooperate well, that affects the list price, right? If the, if the meeting does not go well and it looks like it's going to be tough to show. This will affect the list price and definitely affect the marketing strategy for sure. If the home's a teardown, this is going to affect who you're marketing to. If the home is a great home, it's got really good bones to it, but just needs some updating and it's worth it to do so, meaning there's good upside potential in the home, that's going to affect the list price and the strategy and how you market it as well, right? So all of these factors come into play. And yes, it is possible that it's not the right time to list the home. That is always the possibility in all situations. So our goal as a Forex agent is always to take a four-dimensional approach to all situations and think it through so that the process could be custom-made to get the best possible result for our clients. There's no one-size-fits-all. The other opportunity that a lot of real estate professionals forget is that there is a percentage of tenants that eventually buy homes. If you're the only agent who treated them with respect, then there's a good chance that you have planted a very good seed for future business. I've run into various situations where the tenant was actually able to buy right away. In one instance, I listed a foreclosure and there were two brothers living in the home and they had collectively saved up $100,000 for down payment. And when they saw what the home eventually sold for in foreclosure, it really motivated them to invest in real estate. I ended up selling them a home uh, that that home now has increased uh, four years later over $150,000. These were renters that were able to buy and they weren't motivated to do so until we got into some really good conversations. And if I treated them poorly, I wouldn't have been able to convert those tenants into buyers. They made a solid investment. And there's a good chance that their lives will change in the future and I may be selling that home for them and then selling each of them a home if they meet ladies or move on with their lives or want to have their own house or they move to a different area or whatever. 
You never know where business is going to come from. I've sat down with tenants and gone over a plan with them, set them up with a mortgage specialist, put them in a, on a path to buy. They may not be ready today, but let's get them on the path so that we can have a time frame where they become buyers. That's future money in the bank, right? I hope you found value in our chat today. To learn more about our Forex Formula Real Estate Training Mastery Program, take the free training, get on the waiting list. It's free to do it. Go to forexformula.com. Thank you once again for joining me today. I appreciate you. And I encourage you to go out there and make a great day. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that last episode. Here's the reality that you may or may not know. The top 20% of real estate agents take home 80% of the money out there, while the bottom 80% are fighting over 20% of the scraps that are left. Do you have a desire to be in the top 20%? If you're working hard and not sustainably making six figures of income and beyond, the problem is not you, it's your system. I struggled for years until one day the light bulb came on and I figured out how to simplify the real estate business. If you want to learn my secrets that anyone can implement immediately, that I still use every day, that pays me multiple six figures every year, go to 4xformula.com right now. That's 4xformula.com. The number 4xformula.com. Four